Just a reminder before we start, please subscribe and review our show on Apple Podcasts. It helps new listeners discover the show, and frankly, it kind of makes us feel good. All right, here's the show. Hello and welcome to Powerhouse Politics. I'm ABC News Chief White House Correspondent Jonathan Carr. And I'm ABC News Political Director Rick Klein. Rick, we've got a big show. We're going to talk to Leon Panetta, the former director of the CIA, former uh, director of the Office of Management and Budget, former Pentagon Defense Secretary, uh, and uh, somebody we have a lot to talk to about, but uh, interesting timing of this interview, because what many may not realize is that Leon Panetta uh, also had a senior or top military officer in his uh, in his office at uh, the Pentagon, who went by the name of General John Kelly. General John Kelly was now the White House Chief of Staff, another job that Leon Panetta had earlier in his career. And <laughs> suddenly, the, the, both the, the job of, of Chief of Staff generally and anyone close to the White House uh, and anyone close to the Pentagon is, uh, is very much in interest this week because of uh, almost a throwaway comment by the president earlier this week that in classic Trump fashion uh, started a conflagration. And uh, he was asked, uh, John Carl, you were you were there uh, during an extraordinary day where you asked like 12 questions of, of the president, right. I believe. Um, he was asked about why he hadn't uh, weighed in yet on uh, the four American troops who were killed in Niger. And he responded by uh, questioning the way that previous presidents have handled this issue of, of contacting families, suggesting that he does more than any of the rest of them have done in the past. And, uh, and then we're off and running with another one of those Trump news cycles. Well, let's listen to exactly what he said. The traditional way, if you look at uh, President Obama and other presidents, most of them uh, didn't make calls. A lot of them didn't make calls. I like to call when it's appropriate, when I think I'm able to do it. Uh, they have made the ultimate sacrifice. So generally, I would say that I like to call. So we, we'll talk to Leon Panetta about this. By the way, we're also going to talk to Charlie Sykes, who is the author of a new book called uh, How the Right Lost Its Mind. Do I have the title? Right? Su- yes, it's subtle. We'll yes. see. <laughs> I wonder where he comes out on this one. Uh, uh, former, um, I think former, may- maybe current still, I don't know, but very close friend and, and uh, ally of, of people like Reince Priebus and Paul Ryan. Right. But uh, he's become something of the leading, one of the leading critics of President Trump on the right. Um, on the right that apparently hadn't lost it. Right, I don't know. We used know. to be, yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> um, but uh, so so we're, we're going to get a chance to talk to, to him. We're going to talk to Leon Panetta about this, uh, the, the controversy of the president's words on these notifications of the families of the fallen. Um, but I, I, I also want to bring up, before we bring in Leon Panetta, this extraordinary day we had at the White House with Mitch McConnell having lunch with the president and then being dragged into the Rose Garden for an impromptu press conference. Uh, quite a day. Um this all happening as as Steve Bannon has declared war on Mitch McConnell on the Republican establishment and is just guns a-blazing, no backing down. So right before the lunch, I mean literally right before the lunch, I went into the cabinet room at the White House as part of, as part of the White House press pool and got a chance to ask the president about Bannon's war on Mitch McConnell right before he went to have lunch with, with Mitch McConnell. Here's what happened. I know how he feels. Uh, depends on who you're talking about. There are some Republicans, frankly, that should be ashamed of themselves. But most of them, I'll tell you what, I know the Republican senators. Most of them are really, really great people that want to work hard and they want to do a great thing for the American public. But you had a few people that really disappointed us. They really, really disappointed us. So I can understand fully how Steve Bannon feels. <laughs> so so uh, Steve Bannon, who 
worked to help defeat uh, Republican Senator Luther Strange. And then just yesterday was out in Arizona trying to help defeat Republican Senator <laughs> Jeff Flake, who is promising to help defeat, defeat uh, Republican Senator Dean Heller, who has suggested that uh, that 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 Barrasso of 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 Wyoming may be in his sights, uh, uh, and and open warfare. He yeah, said basically as much. every single yeah. Republican yeah. senator up for re-election, with the exception of Ted Cruz, Ted of course. Cruz, right? Yeah, yes, yeah. So, and and that that war. I mean, President Trump has taken both sides of the war so far, and I think the actions that you saw this week, golfing with Lindsey Graham and Rand Paul, and uh, then of course that. Uh, meandering news conference in the Rose Garden uh, with with Mitch McConnell maybe by that way, by the way did you catch up did you catch the latest with Rand Paul and 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 Lindsey Graham the golf MV, partners the over the weekend piece? yeah <laughs> yeah so uh so so Rand Paul is unhappy with this budget yeah. uh that, that they're going to vote on that's going to basically pave the way for the tax cut right. uh Rand Paul finds this not quite up to his standards so so Lindsey Graham is attacking <laughs> Rand Paul. Right, I mean, right. Like, and, and now should... saying he can be the MVP uh, of, of the Republican Party if he comes around on this. It, maybe he's maybe Trump has won the, the that part of the war and that everyone talks like Trump <laughs> and tweets like Trump right now. But the, the way that the president is playing both sides of this, and it's an interesting issue that we'll talk about with Charlie Sykes in a few minutes, but the way he's played both sides, I don't know which side trusts or mistrusts him right now. Uh, he seems to be in a deal-making mode. He seems to want to actually get some things done. Um, but you know what? We're not actually talking about those things that he wants done. Uh, and, and he has himself to blame in large part for that, that we're not talking about taxes or health care or really the, anything other than the fact that he's once again feuding with the Gold Star family. Yeah, uh, un, un, unbelievable. But um, McConnell, though, uh, by the way, just, just to let you know, a little, little pull back the curtain here. You know, I was at the White House for, yeah. for, for this, um, and we got – uh, wh- while I was in there in the cabinet room with the president, he said that, that McConnell and he were going to come out and speak at the steps after their launch. Yeah. And I saw the most surprised people in the room were those on the White House communications staff who had no idea <laughs> what he was talking about. And then, you know, secondly, everybody was looking around, and, where are the steps? <laughs> what, what steps, what steps are, are we talking about? I mean, there's lots of steps. Yeah, well, it turns out there are steps into the Rose Garden, and that's what he meant. But nobody really knew. And then, <laughs> and then, a, as the lunch was wrapping up, uh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders was scheduled to give a uh, the, the the daily briefing. So the entire White House press corps was in the briefing room at their seats, waiting for Sarah Huckabee Sanders to come out. When the notice went out, quick, go to the Rose Garden. The president's going to be. You know, he was talking with, uh, with Mitch McConnell. So one of the things that McConnell said, he didn't say much uh, at the president's side. He just sat there looking rather glumly. <laughs> uh, but one of the things that he was specifically asked about was Bannon's effort to go out there and, uh, you know, and, and, and run all these hard right conservatives. Here's what Mitch McConnell said about that. My goal as the leader of the Republican Party in the Senate is to keep us in the majority. Uh, the way you do that is not complicated. You have to nominate people who can actually win because winners make policy and losers go home. So there you go. Well, we now have on the line joining us uh, a friend of the podcast, I think we can say, uh, Rick. I know somebody, somebody that we've known for a long, long time. Uh, somebody who has served as, I, I'm going to try to get some of the titles down, uh, Office of Management and Budget Director, uh, Congressman from the great state of California, uh, Chief of Staff at the White House, uh, Director of the CIA, 
Oh, and defense secretary. secretary, Yes. But more importantly, a guest on Powerhouse Politics. Leon Panetta, thank you for joining us. Nice to be with you. So um, I I wanted to start off with with a a, a difficult subject. I don't think this is a story that any of us uh, relish covering. But but the president made those comments in the Rose Garden um, suggesting that he uh, is unique among presidents in calling out calling members, uh, you know, uh, family members of, of the fallen. And I know this is something you had to do quite frequently, um, in, in, especially in your job as, as defense secretary. And you, you know, you worked for, you worked, um, for President Clinton. Uh, you worked for President Obama. Can you just tell me what, what, what was your reaction when you heard the president say those words in the Rose Garden? Well, it, uh, it concerned me because uh, I think uh, I think the focus in those situations needs to be on those that uh, gave their lives uh, in the line of duty, uh, and certainly their families who lost loved ones. That that really ought to be the focus of the attention of the country. And when when the president made his comment, uh, uh, he made the focus about him, uh, about President Obama, and what he did or didn't do, and I think really distracted from what the country ought to focus on, which is the sacrifice of uh, of those individuals and those families. Now, I don't know if a lot of people realize your connection to General John Kelly, but General Kelly was your was your senior military advisor at the Pentagon, right? Right. And can you just give me a sense? What one of the things that really surprised me was not what the president said in the Rose Garden, though that surprised me, but was what he said the following day, um, uh, specifically about General Kelly, who, of course, uh, lost his son. And here's what the president said in an interview on Fox. Now, as far as other uh, representatives, I don't know. I mean, you could ask General Kelly, did he get a call from Obama? You could ask other people. I don't know what Obama's policy was. I write letters and I also call. So that was a radio interview that the president did. Um, can you, I mean, you, 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 you know John Kelly as well as anybody. You're probably one of the few people who's worked as closely with John Kelly as President Trump now works with John Kelly. Um, did, did, he, as far as I have seen, my experience is he is intensely private about what happened, that you, losing his son. And w- what must the reaction be? hearing the president kind of bring him into this debate? Well, again, uh, you know, it's, uh, this this president uh, has a way of, uh, of just uh, throwing, throwing names out there in a way to kind of uh, defend what he's doing. And uh, it is, it's harmful because, you know, uh, John Kelly is, uh, is a patriot. He's, he's a Marine who, put his life on the line and his son is a patriot as well having given his life for this country and he's intensely private about uh not only his own service but certainly what happened to his son and um i just think it's uh it's very regrettable that uh that the president decided to throw him uh into uh, the argument because uh it really it really in in a in a very real way uh not only hurts uh, i think both john kelly and his family 
but it demeans the presidency. Can, can you walk us through, because as you say, the president seems to have made this about himself so much and about the process that he's gone through. But in your experience in the Clinton White House and the Obama White House, was there a protocol for how the president would handle the issue of notification or, or rather uh, condolence or reaching out to uh, the family of a fallen soldier? Yeah, you know, the fact is, uh, in my time in Washington, uh, over 50 years, I've uh, in one way or another, served under nine presidents, and uh, every president had uh, their own approach to how they dealt with this. Uh, you know, using m- most used letters uh, or notes. Uh, uh, some did uh, calls periodically. Uh, others did a lot of personal visits, uh, whether it was to Arlington or Walter Reed or to the families. Um, and that was true for uh, for President Obama as well. Uh, I think. Uh, you know, his approach was to uh, write notes and to uh, uh, write letters, and uh, I think he did uh, uh, calls uh, in certain situations to the families. Uh, but more importantly, my own experience was that, uh, you know, he, at least in the time that I was there, he certainly uh, expressed his compassion uh, personally. But he came out to CIA when we lost uh, seven uh, CIA agents and attended a memorial service out there. Uh, when a helicopter went down when I was uh, Secretary of Defense uh, that killed almost uh, 30 Americans, uh, many of them SEALs. Uh, he was at Dover with me, greeting the caskets as they came back to Dover and visiting with the families there. And uh, oftentimes would uh, visit uh, not only Arlington but Walter Reed uh, without press uh, to uh, visit with uh, those individuals. and. So I, I, you know, I, I just think that uh, every president has to find a way to do this. It's not so much uh, what you do or what you decide to do. I, the most important question is whether it comes from the heart and really expresses the compassion and thanks of a grateful nation. And, of course, the White House has told us that, that General Kelly did not get a call from President Obama when his son died in action. First, do you know that to be true? And second, does that say anything to you? Is there any, any meaning to be read into that, as apparently the, the President Trump would, would have us read? I, I don't know that. Uh, that uh, I think John lost his son uh, before I uh, became Secretary of Defense. And uh, I think uh, I just uh, always felt that uh, that John felt very deeply about what had happened uh, with his son, uh, that it was deeply personal. And uh, I just, uh, you know, I really hesitate to even begin to comment because uh, I really, knowing John and and knowing his family, uh, I really think they would prefer privacy on this issue. So uh, let me ask you, moving on, um, you've got a unique relationship with with John Kelly um, uh, because you've both been chief of staff <laughs> in one sense. And, and I've, as somebody who covered the Pentagon, I know how, I know how closely a, a defense secretary uh, works and how much time you spend with your, your, your senior military advisor. What, what is your uh, assessment of the role that he has been brought into play uh, as a, a, a unique chief of staff? I don't know if there's been a, a chief of staff who's quite had the unique set of challenges that this one has had. Well, you know, having uh, served as uh, chief of staff to uh, Bill Clinton, uh, there's no question that uh, chief of staff's job is one of the toughest uh, in the White House. Uh, and, 
you know, it is, uh, it's one where uh, you are chief of staff. You're not, you're not the president. You're chief of staff, and you're trying to make the staff and the organization of the White House uh, work effectively uh, for the president. And, uh, I think John has been successful at uh, improving uh, kind of the chain of command at the White House and, and providing greater discipline there and greater order in terms of uh, how decisions are made. Uh, I think uh, the, the toughest test is always, you know, whether the principal, whether the president, uh, will accept that discipline. And uh, I think, obviously, in this case, that's still very much a question. Uh, the good thing I had was a president who who recognized that he had to accept that discipline and was willing to do that, and it ultimately got him reelected. Uh, I think that's going to be the question with regards to Donald Trump, whether he's going to be willing to accept any discipline to try to control these crazy tweets that he that he does that uh, you know just disrupts everything. Uh, or whether uh, he's going to be willing to establish some kind of order with regards to his thinking and what he says. How critical, to your mind, is he to the proper functioning of this White House? There's been a lot of rumors, and some that he put to rest on the record last week. General Kelly put to, re- uh, to the rest on the record saying he's not going anywhere, he's not getting fired, he's not quitting. But what, what would it mean to your mind if John Kelly isn't able to survive in this role? How, what, what, what would that suggest to you about the internal workings at the White House? Well, that would make, uh, make me very concerned about uh, uh, kind of uh, the operations there at the White House and, and what could or could not happen. I think uh, in the very least uh, because of uh, John Kelly, because of his national security team, uh, that they're doing everything possible to try to keep this president, uh, you know, in the right place in terms of uh, some of the toughest decisions uh, that have to be made uh, on these danger points that we're facing around the world. And, um, you know, John Kelly uh, is uh, is a Marine, first and foremost. Uh, he is committed to uh, the mission of uh, trying to protect this country. Uh, he believes deeply in this country. It's very loyal. Uh, to the commander-in-chief, uh, and I think, you know, in this situation, uh, he's the right man in that job uh, for the time. And uh, I don't think it would be that easy, frankly, to replace somebody like John Kelly, because uh, this is, without question, a very tough presidency to try to provide some uh, handle on in terms of uh, how it operates. So, so before we let you go, I want to ask you about one of those big danger points out there, and that is North Korea. Uh, what, what if you were if you were sitting in John Kelly's shoes or in uh, or in or in General Ma- Secretary Mattis's shoes? Um, what, what what would you what would you be advising President Trump to do? Well, look, the you know as we we all know, uh, uh, North Korea is uh, is a very difficult, complex, uh, tough. Uh, national security challenge, uh, and, it, and it has been that way for a long time. Uh, I don't think it helps uh, to uh, engage in a rhetorical battle uh, between uh, the president uh, and the leader of North Korea. I think that only increases uh, the chances for miscalculation and, and frankly, uh, builds up a, a sense that, uh, uh, that you know, somebody somewhere, because of this rhetoric, uh, might do something stupid. I think I think the better approach here, frankly, is to is to continue to squeeze North Korea, to build up our defenses there, 
uh, build up our defense shield, um, uh, toughen sanctions, uh, and continue to work with our allies and continue to work with China uh, to try to ultimately uh, force uh, North Korea to the table. I know that's not going to be easy. I think uh, because of uh, some of the things that have gone on, uh, North Korea has every incentive to continue to develop uh, a, uh, an intercontinental ballistic missile with a, with a nuclear weapon on it, and that's dangerous. I think what we've got to do, in addition to everything I said, is to use our covert capabilities to do everything possible to try to limit them from proceeding with what they're trying to do. Mr. Secretary, appreciate you you joining us here. I know it's uh, it's got to be a difficult time for you to watch. It seems to me like there's there's almost a sadness in your voice around this about watching the way this has been handled from your your perch at the Pentagon as well as John Kelly. Am I detecting that right? I mean, you don't seem you seem a well, little bit sobered by this. Yeah, no, I I just uh, you know, and and in in the time spent in public life, uh, I have uh, a tremendous regard for uh, for this country and those that. Uh, that served this country uh, in whatever capacity. And, uh, you know, I think this country is great because of our values, because uh, we really try to do uh, the best in us uh, in terms of our better angels. And uh, I just think we need to get back to that. And, uh, you know, uh, the, the more we, we divide ourselves, the more we fight each other, the more, uh, the more partisan that Washington gets and dysfunctional that it gets, the more I worry about uh, the future of our country and uh, you know things are we're facing too many challenges right now uh, to not have uh, leadership that functions in Washington. Well we appreciate you coming in and talk to us always learn from you and and, and having uh, tracked your career um, you know from from way back I, I, I know that you are one of those that have that has tried uh, and occasionally succeeded in, in, in bridging many of those divides uh, so we appreciate you coming in and, and, uh, and talking to us today. Thank oh, you. Great. It's good to talk to you, and uh, my best to everybody there. Great. Take care. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you, man. I sense a – there's a sense of almost dread. Yeah, and it's it just it, – it, it's different than your, your typical political food fights, and not just because it's a pointless feud, because what is President Trump get out of suggesting that he handled uh, troop – deaths uh, better than President Obama or Clinton or the Bushes or Carter or anyone? What do you get out of that? What do you get out of a feud with a gold star family? Uh, it, 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 it's beyond even the pointlessness of it. It's, it's that you're talking about institutions here. And I think when you hear from Leon Panetta, who, as he said, nine presidents, that this demeans the presidency, you start to talk about the stakes of this particular fight. Uh, and it's similar to my mind to the, the fight with Captain Khan during the or Captain Khan's family during the during during the campaign, there was something different about that that seemed to break through. I wonder if this has any of the same kind of impact. I mean, I, I just just but me talking here. I I, I kind of hope that we're able to to to, to move on soon. <laughs> well, as someone who's covered wars you know, and and, yeah. and and has talked to these families, sure, I get. I that. mean, some of the most difficult stories that 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 I've done, particularly when I was covering the Pentagon right. during the real dark days of, of the Iraq war when when we were losing, you know, in some cases more than 100 service yeah. members a month. Um, um, some of the most difficult stories are going out and, and important stories and, and, and reaching out to those families and, um, you know, uh, it, th- those are permanent losses. Mm-hmm. Permanent losses. Um, so, um, you know, 
on that note. <laughs> on that note, uh, on that note, as the president's uh, feuds continue, uh, we'll talk to one of the leading Republican critics of uh, of this president after the break. We're going to talk to uh, the author and the radio host, Charlie Sykes. Are you feeling limitless? I don't think I've ever told this story publicly on the air anywhere, but I'll tell it now. Welcome to No Limits. I'm Rebecca Jarvis. Are you a psychiatrist? (laughs) No. Each week, we're taking an honest look at success and how to get there with the boldest, most influential women in the world. Jessica Alba. Ariana Huffington. Issa Rae. Barbara Corcoran. Robin Roberts. Welcome to No Limits. Listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. This is No Limits. Hey there, it's Mara Schiavocampo from Good Morning America. Like so many people, I've struggled to find that perfect balance between health and happiness. Name a diet, I've probably tried it. Crazy workout plan, yep, I've done that too. But I learned it was my approach that was actually weighing me down. After losing 90 pounds, I discovered it's not just about reaching a healthy weight, it's about finding peace and freedom. I have a podcast called Motivated, focused on all things health and wellness. Join the conversation. Search Motivated on Apple Podcasts and subscribe today. All right. And joining us now is Charlie Sykes, the author of How the Right Lost Its Mind, the number one talk radio host in the state of Wisconsin, friend of the podcast. Uh, Welcome to the show. Hey, good to be back. So, um... I, I there, there's so much to to talk about. Uh, your 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 book is, shall we say, a little timely. Um, <laughs> but but I want to I want to get right to it. What what the heck is going on? What is your read of what is going on with Steve Bannon and and this remarkable scene that we saw unfold uh, at the White House this week with the president? It seems to me when I asked him in the cabinet room about Bannon's de- declaration of war on Mitch McConnell and all things Republican establishment, that, that the president essentially gave him the green light. Is that the way you read it? Because I think I saw him in the Rose Garden a little while later uh, chumming it up with Mitch McConnell and claiming they'd never been, they'd never been friendly. Or what, can, can you tell me which, which was true? Yeah, it's, you, you must get whiplash watching all of this. You, you know, I... Um, I, I know some people will be tempted, uh, to, you know, to say that the president is playing, you know, eight eight dimension chess or, or good cop, bad cop. I just don't think he can help himself here. Um, you know, Steve Bannon is right now the id of the right. And uh, you can't have it both ways. You can't be declaring war against uh, your own party and then also, you know, say that your relationship has never been better. Look, I, you know, it's I, I, I can't psychoanalyze uh, Steve Bannon, but this doesn't look like a strategy to me as much as it does this sort of this unfocused. Uh, vindictive rage. It doesn't even appear to be ideologically principled um, as much as as much as it seems to be just kind of a let's let's burn it all down, let's tear it all down, and let's see what happens. How how that gets them to where they want to be in terms of governing or legislative success is uh, well, that's you guys probably know better than I do. What's extraordinary to me about it is that Bannon is somebody who whose office was steps away from the Oval Office. Uh, he d- was in a position of power. And now he's outside, but theoretically still has a still has a, a pipeline right to the Oval Office. This kind of opposition at all costs, bomb throwing, is usually done by those on the fringes uh, who, who don't have access to power. And the rage is, is based on that on that frustration. Um, what what is 
what is the motivation here? What is the strategy? And I'm asking you to, I guess, yeah. get back in and and psychoanalyze. But but if you look at at what at what they've accomplished so far, uh, the kind of you know Bannon's movement on the outside. I guess I, I don't I don't know if you give him credit uh, or, or or blame for the Alabama Senate primary. I mean, Roy Moore was a a major figure in that state long before anybody knew who uh, Steve Bannon was. But he's now supporting Kelly Ward in um, yeah. in Arizona, somebody that's run how many times and right. failed to, to, to win in, in Arizona. Uh, Danny Tarkanian in, uh, in in Nevada, who has run, I think, at least five times for various things and, and, and lost. What's, what's, what's the strategy? And what well, will the impact be? Well, you know that that's what's interesting is it's it is kind of the the revenge of crazy town. Let's 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 go back and you know rerun the Sharon Angle, uh, uh, Christine O'Donnell races here. Uh, and so, but look at this from from Donald Trump's point of view. You know, you mentioned that this is the kind of thing you expect from the fringes. You know, part of the Trump's success is the fact that he empowered the the, the fringes. You know, these this is his base, and I, I think that Trump was probably rattled a lot by what happened in Alabama because he cannot afford to let somebody get to the more populist right of him. And, and you see this sort of back and forth, this tug of, you know, wanting to get things done, but also recognizing that, you know, the, these folks from Crazy Town were the ones that got you the nomination and got elected. So I think you're going to have him sort of ping pong back and forth between the two of them. Um, in, in terms of those races you're talking about, uh, I, if, if, you, if I'm a Democrat, which I'm not, um, I'm delighted to see Steve Bannon burning down, uh, you know, just trying to uh, destroy incumbent Republicans and replace them with uh, with rather eccentric folks out there. So, you know, who knows? But, you know, you mentioned before, here's a guy, you know, Steve Bannon is, is so much a part of this Trump story. Here's a guy who has obviously flirted with the alt-right, who describes himself as a Leninist, who makes it very, very clear that his agenda is primarily negative and to tear things down. And, you know, don't, don't you know, jump past that point that he was in the White House. He has the ear of the president of the United States. Here's basically one of the gods of dysfunction. And he was sitting in the White House. We wonder why things have played out the way they did. So talk about this moment in governing, because you, 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 you discuss in your book that the conservatives should have seen this coming. The, the, the flirtations with the fringes, it was going on along the way. And yet you have a, a president who, as president, has more or less, and maybe you'll disagree, more or less adopted the conservative agenda uh, as his own. When you see him making a move toward governing, how, how, does, a, how does a right-thinking, right, capital R right, I suppose, thinking conservative, supposed to approach this? Do, do you buy that he could enact a conservative agenda, or do you have to be skeptical of everything that President Trump does, whoever he golfs with over the weekend? Yeah, this, this, is, this, is, the, this is the real dilemma. Because, you know, if you're a conservative, there are going to be things that he's going to do that you're going to like. I mean, let's face it, conservatives are very happy with the Supreme Court appointments, the judicial appointments. Uh, if they get tax cuts, most conservatives, except the ones who care about the deficit, will probably <laughs> applaud all of that. But, um, you know, there, there's a reason why we need to be reluctant to put our faith in princes, because this guy, on a daily basis, could go anywhere. I mean, the, the reality of Donald Trump is that even though for the moment, he occasionally will adopt conservative values. He's, I mean, look, Donald Trump is not a deeply principled, deep-thinking individual. He is not a lifelong, quote-unquote, movement conservative. 
he will throw them under the bus um, whenever it becomes convenient. And one of the realities of American politics now is that much of his base will go along with him, even if he sits down and reverses his position on a lot of these issues. What do you make of Paul Ryan, the House Speaker? Uh, you're a Wisconsin guy. He's a Wisconsin guy. You've interviewed him dozens, hundreds of times over the years, I would guess. A very, yeah. a very close relationship. When you see Paul Ryan, who did that famous, uh, the famous vacillation on offering the endorsement uh, last year, uh, the, the, then just a few weeks after the Access Hollywood tape says he wouldn't be doing anything to support him. When you see him all in for President Trump, talking about the border wall, talking about the Trump agenda, praising his leadership, uh, not calling him out when he goes and does things that are not conservative or, or just generally outrageous. When you see Paul Ryan, what, what goes through your mind right now? Um, really profound disappointment. Because, um, you know, I, I have known him for many years and really did see him as, as the intellectual leader of the conservative movement and very much um, the alternative path that conservatives and Republicans could have taken. You know, there's either the, the you know, Trump right and then there's the then there is the more policy oriented Ryan right. Um, look, he had no illusions about who and what Donald Trump was and was willing to call him out. Uh, but, he, but he's made and, and I know this, this sounds harsh, but, he, but he's made a Faustian bargain which is that, look, I want to get my agenda through. I really, really want to get tax reform through. And in order to do that, I apparently have to behave this way. I I have to uh, be all in on Trump. Um, I wish he was much more restrained about it. I understand that he wants the tax reform, that that has nothing to do with Donald Trump. But there's a certain point at which you want to say, you know, good God, Mandy, you have some pride left. I mean, do you have to... You have to, you know, chirp about, uh, you know, what a great leader uh, Donald Trump is. It's uh, that there are many things that make me cringe these days, and uh, because I have some so much respect and affection for Paul Ryan, this is the most cringeworthy thing that I have to live through. So you also uh, go back a long ways with Ryan's previous. Have you talked to him at all uh, recently? We've uh, we actually have uh, kept a little bit in touch. Yeah. What 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 what's your sense of where his head is at right now i mean you know he's, well i uh, you know uh, I, you know I, I, um I, I don't want to oversell my my insight into him except that he he seems to be a man who i think feels a great burden that has been lifted from him somebody who has been released from from prison now again i don't know what how that gave with robert Mueller win um but you know ryan's previous is another one of the wisconsin conservatives who uh, I think had no illusions about Donald Trump, but decided to make their peace with him and, and became very much enablers. And I do think that, you know, Ryan's previous, and I've described him before as a tragic figure. Here's somebody who I think understood what Republicans needed to do. He was the he was the architect of that autopsy, and yet ultimately goes in and tries to be the chief of staff, perhaps naively thinking that uh, that he could constrain or control this uh, the, this president and. Uh, I think his failure was uh, was was preordained. But and you know, I think of Reince and Paul Ryan very much. The first lines in uh, the first chapter of my book is the quote from W. B. Yeats: "The best lack all conviction, all the worst are full of passionate intensity." And that line keeps playing through my head when we're talking about Steve Bannon, the empowerment of Steve Bannon, the rise of the Roy Moores. You know, the the worst people in the world are now becoming the face of the Republican Party, whereas the people who I think understood where conservatives needed to go, have decided that, uh, well, you know what, maybe we maybe we should keep our powder dry. Maybe we shouldn't comment on that. Maybe we shouldn't say anything critical. 
when you talk about the right having lost its mind, where do you go to get it back? And it, it, is it is it critical, do you think, to reclaiming conservatism that President Trump face a primary challenger, someone who represents the tradition that I think you would say you represent and probably is closer to the Paul Ryan tradition, that Paul Ryan path, someone that, that offers that alternative, uh, a one-on-one matchup or something close to it in the 2020 primaries? Well, let me answer you the question first. You know, when, uh, when I say that the, the right has lost its mind, I mean that in two ways. Number one, because I think it's become deranged and delusional in a certain way, um, but also just the rejection of most of the intellectual tradition. So where do you go to get that back? Um, I honestly don't know, considering that the loudest, angriest, most irresponsible voices are the ones who are dominating conservative politics these days. Uh, I would like to see a challenge uh, in, in the primary. I don't, I'm not optimistic uh, that it would be successful because the Republican base, you know, for uh, many reasons is just not budging. They continue to, uh, they continue to rally around uh, Donald Trump. Um, I, I don't know that a, a third party is, is that practical. If we didn't have a third party in 2016 when it was a choice between Trump and Hillary, I don't know when these the circumstances would be any better than all of that. Well, Trump, or Eliz- Trump versus Elizabeth Warren, that's what Bill Kristol t- talked about that with us recently. Trump versus Warren is uh, maybe a pure test case for the third party. Trump versus uh, uh, Bernie well, Sanders. Or Bernie, yeah. Well, yeah, well, it would be kind of a nightmare for, for a lot of us because, you know, that then you get back to that binary choice. No matter how horrible Trump is, the Democratic candidate is, is worse. And I could certainly see Donald Trump uh, relishing that kind of a challenge uh, running against the media, running against Hollywood, running against uh, the most left-wing candidate that the uh, that the Democrats could put up. By the way, what a what a just uplifting and inspiring rallying cry that was during the campaign. It's a binary choice. <laughs> it's a binary yeah. choice. Uh, what what what's Flight happened? Ninety three. So- we're 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 all going to die. Remember that that whole essay. <laughs> we are all going to die. Okay. Hillary Clinton was not my idea of a good president. I think she would have been awful in many ways. But this rhetoric that 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 everything is the apocalypse, that, that if you don't storm the cockpit, that the country will be destroyed. The Supreme Court? I, yes, but Gorsuch. Yes, uh, but Gorsuch. So uh, what's happened with you as you've... I mean, you 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 were you were never you never flirted with Trump. You you were a critic from the start, a very vocal critic. You didn't you didn't you didn't pull any punches. What's what's happened to the relationship between you and your listeners? I mean, you were you know you're the you're yeah. the number one talk radio guy in the state of Wisconsin. You were uh, well, I was. For, 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 for for as long as I can remember. Uh, you know a. Um, you know, one 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 of the kind of you know intellectual leaders on the right, and what we what we considered the the conservative movement. What's what's happened between you and and you know and your people? Yeah. Well, uh, apparently they're not my people anymore. You know, <laughs> since I, I stepped away, I, I I actually posted something about my excommunication, and I I actually do feel kind of excommunicated. And again, I have I have no doubts or, or regrets. I'm not bitter about it or anything. I mean, I. I, it was not an easy. It was not it was not a difficult choice at all because I was never going to get on board the Trump train. But um, you know, I I think that that if you ask many Republicans in Wisconsin, they would say, well, that 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 Sykes has uh, betrayed the cause. He is he's Benedict Arnold. He's Judas, because our politics is so tribal that if you do not go along with 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 Donald Trump, that is perceived to be a a fundamental act of apostasy. 
And I think there are a lot of people who believe that, well, you sold out. Now, I'm saying exactly the same thing that I've been saying for, well, pretty much forever, certainly for the last year and a half. But it is interesting, the people who made the 180, who went from thinking that Donald Trump was, was, was a clown and a buffoon and a, and, a, and a con man, who are now you know, singing his praises, those are the ones uh, who are accusing me of being the sellout. Yeah, right, right. So I, 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 the, the powers of psychological projection, I think, are impressive. So someday I'd like to get a degree in psychology and write about that. <laughs> well, next there's there's always there's always the chance, you know. <laughs> yeah. um, all right, uh, Charlie Charlie Sykes, thank you for joining us on Powerhouse Politics. Uh, really appreciate it. And again, the book is How the Right Lost Its Mind. Thank you very much. Talk to you again soon. Hey, thank you. It's been it's been fun. So we we kind of ran out of time there, uh, Rick. But I, I wanted to I wanted to ask about the George Will column yeah. on on Mike Pence. But I think I think I know what he would have thought. But did you, did you catch this column? I, I did. Yeah. This yeah, this is pretty int- good. First of all, like like any great George Will column, you need to get your SAT words. Uh, sure. You know, sure. you need to kind of it's a good it's a good prep. But let me just read you a couple lines before we before we say goodbye. Uh, this is about Mike Pence. Um, he writes with eyes wide open. Mike Pence eagerly auditioned for the role of Donald Trump's poodle. Now comfortably leashed, which I love the way he carries the metaphor mm. out, he deserves the degradations that seem that he seems too sycophantic to recognize as such. And then he says, no unblinkered observer can still cling to the hope that Pence has the inclination, never mind the capacity to restrain, never mind educate the man who elevated him to his current glory. Pence is a reminder that no one can have sustained transactions with Trump without becoming too soiled for subsequent scrubbing. Soiled a dog, indeed. I, it, it, and George Will just twisting the knife there. And yeah, and, and keep in mind, George Will is, is somebody who, would, you know, would have been a solid Pence supporter sure. on many, on, on almost across the board. On You know, he's not quite as, maybe on some of the, the cultural issues, but he's pretty, you know, he's a, he, I, I, I guarantee if we go back, we could find sure. Will... Seeing Pence as a uh, you know as, as a force uh, for good in the conservative movement, but that and that's the point that Charlie Sykes is making in, in this book what, by outlining that other path that could have been taken. That's the Paul Ryan path, and, and Republicans have all had to had that moment in this in this year, given the way he is governed and given the way that he campaigned. Are you in or are you out? And that's how Trump talk about binary choices. That's how the president views it. Yes. You're either in or you're out. And Pence, Paul Ryan, they're in. Guess what? Bob Corker's out. Uh, Charlie Sykes is out. Ben Sass uh, is is out. Jeff Flake is out. John McCain probably out. So people are making that decision. I'm still intrigued that there's still people that were out before, like Lindsey Graham, who are back in in a in a in a golf in a golf cart with the president because it, it, there's something almost intoxicating Marco about Rubio, that appeal. Marco Rubio, Rubio not, sure. not, not quite to the degree of a Lindsey Graham or or a Mike Pence. Ted Cruz, the, Mike Lee, these were yeah. never Trumpers, and they've come to the conclusion that you're better to govern from the inside. And I think in that in a lot of ways it How makes. How long does it last? And when 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 is the break? I well, guess. and that's that and that's the point that I think Charlie Sykes gets at that, that, it, that inevitably conservatives will have their hearts broken by this guy because he's not a conservative, and mm-hmm. and the way that he governs, uh, even if you can filter out the things that he says, the the, the point feuds and and the, the occasional offenses or more occasional offenses that he'll he'll cause do you do, do you think it's all worth it in the end and when it's all done will will the conservative governance you may get be worth the the the, the heartbreak that you have along the way and and the sense of a of a mission of conservatism that's been lost wow well uh, this is why we have powerhouse politics every single week that's right <laughs> All right. That is it for this show. Thank you for listening. Uh, 
leave us a rating on iTunes, subscribe, tell all your friends and family. In addition to that, uh, subscribe to The Note online. We've got an earlier publication time now. Yeah, we're out the at note. 6 a.m. so early because we're going to tell you everything you need to know so at What, what time are you getting up for that, Rick? And you don't want to know. What, you okay. sleep. Well, time for sleep in another era, in another presidency, maybe. All right. We'll catch you again next week. Thank you. Thank you.